Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison, and this is the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. I started Recover Your Soul after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism, control addiction, and codependency. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery to help others transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we must first turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on inner change. Outer positive results in our lives will follow. As a spiritual coach, I can support you on your path to make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions, read the blog, listen to some of my original music, and subscribe to receive email updates. I think of Recover Your Soul as a community. Follow us on social media and join the private Facebook group to support each other and connect. For an extra episode each week and to support this podcast, become a Patreon member or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. Welcome back to Recover Your Soul. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. I have a really special guest to join us today, Gretchen Stecker. She is in the rooms of recovery, and we have a good mutual friend who said that we had to get together. So welcome, Gretchen. Thank you, Rachel. So honored to be here with you. I am so excited because when our friend said we'd be a good connection and we talked on the phone just for a couple minutes, I loved everything that you had to say. And it was really, really powerful for me, I think, what you get to bring to the listeners of Recover Your Soul. Tell me a little bit about Gretchen and how you got here. Well, I grew up in an alcoholic home and um, and went through all the craziness that happens with all of that kind of stuff and found myself as a young adult really actually completely miserable. Mm. I had no idea um, how to feel good. You know, I did a lot of drinking. I smoked cigarettes for 30 years. I just didn't know how to feel good naturally. So I spent a lot of time flailing around and trying to figure out how to feel good as a human being. And eventually landed after or during actually a very tumultuous divorce um, in my late 30s. Um, I landed with a really great therapist who kept insisting that I go to Al-Anon meetings or adult children of alcoholics meetings. And, and, and then she had the audacity to go on vacation for a week. So I had no support without her. <laughs> so 
that finally pushed me into actually going to meetings. I was terrified and, you know, went in by myself and it was really a scary thing for me to do because I'd had some pretty hairy group experiences before that. So I don't think you're the only one that finds it hard to walk into those meetings for the first time. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's true. Yeah. And I was just so impressed. I mean, I felt like, you know, somebody, they read the characteristics and, and I felt like somebody took a scalpel and went right down my, the center mm-hmm. of my body and opened me up and read the inside of me. And I went, how do they know this about me? <laughs> it was so shocking to me, you know? So I thought, well, I'm going to stick around and check this out. And then there were men that cried at the meeting. I, you know, it was a group of like 10 or 15 people and there were men that cried. I'd never seen that happen before either. I could feel the the heart space opening and the vulnerability and and the safety. I, you know, I never experienced safety in a group before I went to 12-step meetings. Yeah, and eventually um, went from adult children of alcoholics meetings to Al-Anon meetings and AA meetings. And so I've uh, I've had some time in 12-step programs. I think another thing I hear you saying that I've heard before is you start sometimes in, in Al-Anon because, or in adult children of alcoholics because your life feels so out of control. You haven't admitted your own alcoholism yet. And then to get to that next step is another part mm-hmm. of the journey, another path to follow. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then what got you into counseling? What brought you into this profession of being in this to help others? Well, I remember hearing about psychology when I was 16 and always was interested in it. So I took sort of the long road in terms of my education to get to counseling. But I remember sitting in my therapist's office um, back in the mid-90s and saying to her, this is what I want to do. I want to help other people feel hope because I, I felt completely hopeless. Mm-hmm. I felt like my life was, I was in this massive pit of blackness and I had to look up to see the bottom of it. And I knew that other people were suffering too. And, and I just really have a heart for wanting to help people. And the better that I feel, the more I do my own personal growth work, the more passion I become about helping other people. That's fantastic. So how long have you been offering therapy? Well, I started in the mental health fields in 2001. And, and before that, I did some exit counseling for people coming out of destructive cults. So, so it's been a while. <laughs> I've been oh. doing it for a while. You're a somatic therapist, correct? Mm-hmm. And your specialties are long-term recovery. And also, I was, a, I was interested to see it was sexual assault survivors, as mm-hmm. well as adult children of alcoholics. And more recently, you're talking about broadening that out to the understanding of resentments as a whole. Yes, resentments are fascinating. Resentments I actually are fascinating. They really are. I mean, you know, in the big book, it talks a lot about resentments. And it's one of the few places that you actually can find much information about resentments unless you do scholastic research, which is what I actually did for my master's paper. I studied resentments, I researched them and learned a lot about the ins and outs and ups and downs and, and how we view them and what we do with them. And in, even in the mental health field, there's really nobody talking about resentments and the effect that they have on our lives. Which I, and, which I 
I was going to say, which I find is so fascinating because I think it's really the crux of all of it, that for each of those things that you have a specialty in and each of us who lives our lives, we get so caught up in resentment. And so it really should be talked about more. Well, I think it would be a great idea if we paid a lot more attention to the effects of resentments. And yeah, because they, you know, a resentment that if I have a resentment against you, for instance, that is held in my body and it affects all of my other relationships. So understanding, just even understanding some of the rudimentary things about the human system and how we function and what happens when we have challenges like resentments in our system. Resentments are very much like trauma, which both of which wind up clogging up our system. So the human body is actually an open system. And, you know, what goes in comes out, our cells change completely every seven years. And we, and it's supposed to be uh, what comes in goes out. And what happens is we live in this culture that tells us, you know, not to feel and not to express things authentically. And so our system gets clogged up. So when an emotion wants to happen, so emotions are just energy, their movement through our body. But if we grip and we hold um, our tissues tight because we're afraid to let the emotion go through it, then it gets stuck in the tissues and the tissue stays holding it so that it doesn't keep going through because we've been taught not to feel our emotions because it's scary or because it hurts to feel sad. But the thing is, we so we haven't really learned how as human beings in this culture, how to just let emotions go through our bodies and not act from them. So it is not our job or it's not the job actually of emotions to be telling us what to do. It's their job, my understanding anyway, after a bunch of years of studying this is they come, they go through our system, they tell us the impact of something that's happened to us and then they, and then they complete we are not fear. We are not anxiety. We are not worry. We are not sad. We experience them, but we are not our emotions. So when we hold them tight and they stay clamped up inside, first of all, we're using energy to keep them held there. And that creates exhaustion in the system after a while. When you hold something for a long time, it's tiring because it takes energy to do that. And they never get to complete. So anytime we have an experience, say I've got a bunch of sadness because I would, for, for me, I wasn't allowed to feel sad in my family of origin. So anytime sad, I could feel it start to come up in my body. It's like there were these automatic clamps that just shut it down and I couldn't let myself feel it. So what happens is when I see a sad movie or I have an, you know, a separate sad experience and that the sad starts to come up, it connects in with the, with the other vibrational sad that's in my body. And it goes, hey, we want to come out too. Let's all have a party together because it wants to move through. That's what it's there for. It's there to move through our bodies. I've never thought of it like this before. It's totally in fascinating to me about the moving through and completing. So tell yes. me a little bit more about that for somebody who's been on this journey and has never thought of it like that? So emotions 
tend to, and we know this from neuroscience, so just to name that, um, they wave through our bodies. Just like a wave does in the ocean or in a large body of water, it builds up slowly, it crescendos, crashes, and then goes back out again. It's a cycle. It's a completion cycle that happens like a wave does. And if we're able to be, to have our bodies soft enough so that instead of clenching, so that it can actually go through, then it completes. We're not being pulled around by the nose, by our fear or our sad. We can actually let it go through our bodies. And part of that is not letting our minds continue with the thoughts that keep the emotion going. There's a, a trick to this here because the mind always wants to do something. And so we want to give it what we want it to do instead of just letting it do its thing. Oh, you know, if you're afraid of something, oh, there must be danger there. Let's keep thinking about it. Let's do that. Let's go over and over and over and over it, which just creates this massive amount of fear. Like we've got a Bengal tiger running after us in our heads and our whole system is going, you know, trying to um, get ready for that, which is where the neurochemicals come into play, the adrenaline and the cortisol. And then we're not moving to use up that energy that the chemicals have provided for us. And so then we have all this excess chemicals in our bodies. And we are walking around with these fears just going around and around and around and around in our heads. And this is a lot of the difficulties that we have with stress. This is a lot of what we call stress. We're just going over and over and over problems in our heads instead of letting ourselves feel stuff and then work with learning how to manage fears. It's part of the human experience to have fear. So knowing what it is, how to recognize it, you know, and then working with it and managing it instead of letting it run our lives, which is not uh, something that feels good. I, you know, it's funny, the way that I like to describe this to, to people is we know that we are love-based creatures. And the reason we know this is because I've yet to meet a human being who comes in and says to me, Gretchen, I want some more anxiety. Can you tell me how to get that? Let's go for this. I love how fear feels in my body, right? Nobody says that. Nobody says that. No, no, because it doesn't feel good. We don't yeah. like that. We want peace and joy and harmony and happiness. That's the stuff that we want. Yeah. So that's how we know that. When something is off in our system, it's likely that we've got some kind of fear-based energy going on and resentments yeah. are a cluster of fear-based emotions. So let's assume somebody doesn't really even know what a resentment is. I mean, we have the standard resentment, which is that we're pissed at somebody for doing something, but it's, it's more than that. It is. Resentments are a cluster of emotions that actually stay stuck in our bodies. And you can tell this when you think about an experience that you've had and you get mad again when you think about it. So that's one way to recognize that there may be, um, there's likely a resentment going on for you. So the energy of them is often, I've been done wrong and deserve payback. Um, they're grudges. You know, they're sometimes held for lifetimes and beyond. So the cluster of feelings and resentments are anger, fear, lots of different types of fear, guilt, shame, entitlement, and a lot of times there's hatred in there too. Mm -hmm. 
So resentment isn't just anger. It's a whole cluster of all these other ones. And they contain a bunch of assumptions huddled around a particular situation. I love that because I think that through my recovery, what I can tell about myself is that the energy, now that you describe it coming through and waving to having its completion, there is so much that's happened in my life that early on, I had all that build up and so it get brought up and I'd get angry all over again. Yes. And the more that I've done recovery work and what I call soul recovery work, the more I can just observe it and I can witness it as if I'm watching a movie versus being in the experience yes. and and it has lessened and it there's very few things that have the hook in me that they did four years ago when I started this process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you work with people, how do you, how do you work with them? What, what is it that you help them with to be able to let that go out of their body? Well, first of all, let me just say that I generally do not work one-on-one with people with releasing resentments. And the reason for that is it's really, it's a challenging process. So to me, it is not, there's no magic wands here, right? It's, it's a process. And I have a particular writing format that I use with people. And what we do is we actually unpack what is inside of the resentment. So we go under the surface, but before we even get there, we have to be able to identify what they are. So we start off, so I do it in a group setting because it's it's much more supportive and it's also really helpful to hear other people's processes when people are willing to share that because it helps with a lot of things. Like we shame ourselves around our feelings. So hearing another person talk about what's happening internally with their feelings and their perceptions about how they're feeling helps other people open up, just like the safety and 12-step meetings. So I love doing this in a group setting because it helps us feel like we're not alone and also, again, gives an experience of safety in a group setting. I also think that sometimes in one-on-ones, we can get caught up. I know for myself, when I'm the one who needs to work on something, I get caught up in my story and my victim story versus in the solution part of it. And when you're in a group setting there really isn't as much space to whip the story over and over and over because you're also holding space for everybody else. Right. And I mean, I get, I get really excited. I've had people laugh at me about this, but to me, when we find those things that we feel so ashamed of inside and we're able to identify them, I get so excited. I am so proud of people and so happy for them when they find these things. It's like, yes, we've struck gold. That's the thing. Yes, that's what we want to see. Because if you can't see it and you can't feel your way through it, you can't heal it. You can't let go of it unless you know what's there. Our cultural norm is, oh, I'm just going to turn away from it. And there's also parts of our bodies, our animal body doesn't want to go towards pain. Let me just say that too. So our natural response is to avoid anything that that smells like it might be painful. And so it's easier to do this in a group setting where you see other people actually don't die from feeling and they, you know, they don't have a meltdown when they express things or they don't have, you know, some irreparable experience. 
um, even if they do have emotion, which is a totally normal human thing to have. Yeah, I love that. And I'm and I'm also thinking about how both in Al-Anon and in addiction that we're doing anything we can to not feel what we're afraid of feeling. Yes. yes. And the the insidious nature of how much more pain that brings us. It does actually. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That if we, if we lean into it, the truth is if you're willing to lean into it and lean into the process, you actually mm-hmm. are helping, as you're saying, to dissipate yes. the emotion and actually get it to the other side. The pain that we experience and most of our suffering is from not feeling our feelings. It's from holding on to and clenching our tissues and not letting them go through. So when we are able to have enough safety so that we can soften our bodies and we can allow the system to open enough and expand enough so that this energy movement can go through us, really, I describe it as emotional constipation. It's very hard to let this stuff go through when you're holding really tight. So it takes practice because we've all been programmed to to hold ourselves so tightly closed that it's painful for emotions to go through. I have actually experienced massive amounts of grief with no pain, Mm, which is a stunning experience to have. That's interesting to me since we just had the fire, you know, and my mom lost her home and she actually, thank you. She's actually going through the grief. And I would say she's actually going through the grief without the pain Mm. that she's experiencing the feelings, the loss, but um, it's profound to watch her as a Buddhist to move through it in a way Mm. that doesn't feel like she's avoiding it, Mm -hmm. but she's not clinching on to the pain of it. And mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating to watch because not everybody does that. It's a hard way to to do it. I think it's easier, but for most people, it's harder because it's it takes more work. That's the thing about it. It's like we are a lot of the things that we consider normal are actually much more difficult for humans. You know, it's funny how how backwards many of the things are about our culture. So, yeah, and it's one of the benefits, I think, of the um, Buddhist principles uh, that the non-attachment thing Mm -hmm. is, you know, when you're able to actually do that, it does soften the body so that the clenching does not create the suffering when the energy goes through, because that's where the pain comes from. It's from the clenching. It's not from the actual movement of the energy. We have plenty of space in our bodies for the energy to move through. When we're adults, when we're kids, we don't. But when we're adults, we do. Yeah, I love this. It's so it's it's things I've never really thought of in this way before. So it's really interesting to me. And I think yeah. about how when you go behind somebody and you do their shoulders, and how people some people are just so tight, and their whole bodies are so tight, and their shoulders are up high, and their jaws are rigid. And yes, and, and to be mindful of really allowing your body to be more relaxed. Yes. Well, it's easy to say, you know, people used to say that to me, well, just relax, Gretchen. And, you know, I wanted to bop them on the head because if I knew how to relax, I would have, you know, when you're so used to bracing because your world isn't safe as a kid, then you, that's how you learn to be a human and you don't know any other ways. 
So it's really challenging to, to begin shifting that. It really takes some serious intention setting and paying attention and really deciding that you're going to go, that you, that you are going to pay attention to it because Mm -hmm. it's, it's all, you know, with all this stuff that's happened to protect us and help us to survive is all very unconscious. Yeah, our subconscious is so powerful. I think one of my favorite things about metaphysics is the power of our thought. Mm. That our thoughts are so powerful. And then Mm. when we say, I'm struggling with this, you are naming that it's a struggle. Mm. And And we do that so much with our body in these ways when we can use our thoughts to move us into the other directions, the positive directions, the healing directions. And it doesn't mean that we don't feel the feelings, but our thoughts are so profoundly powerful in allowing us to get past the fear. You know, that reminds me of something that my therapist told me many years ago, Rachel, which is everything is about perception. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I I remember looking at her, you know, like a dog with my head caught going, what is she talking about? You know, and as the years have gone on, I'm like, oh, oh, now I get it. (laughs) I remember in early recovery this time, um, my sponsor would say more will be revealed. Mm -hmm. And and I wasn't place where I could hear that well. Mm. And as time has gone by and I've had more and more healing, more is constantly being revealed. You know, we are so multifaceted, multi-layered. the traumas and resentments and pain that is so deep in our bodies and yes. in our subconscious, it takes a long time for those it to does. come out. It does. And that used to really piss me off. It really did. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it did because I wanted to be done with it already. <laughs> Aren't I well yet? Come on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And now I see... I'm in a place now where I just kind of go, okay, another layer. How do we want to handle this layer? You know, and sometimes it's one way, sometimes it's another way. So yeah, but I find that even with the different types of work that I've done on myself personally, when I go to another layer, I often will find a resentment in there. And I've Mm -hmm. done a lot of work on resentments. Let me just say, it's been a big focus because it actually completely changed my life. I mean, you were talking earlier about the victim experience and I just totally lived there for most of my life. It wasn't until after I went through this process of releasing resentments in my own system that I was able to do things like set goals and meet them and feel like I had any control over my life or experience any kind of happiness, um, be able to um, create a financial abundance for myself. I couldn't do any of this stuff. I knew that I had a lot to give, but I didn't know how to get there because I was so, I was such a fear ball. Oh my God. When I think back, I have a lot of compassion for that person that I was because I was terrified of everything. I had no idea how to be a human. And I remember when I first got sober, I was living on Cape Cod and went to the beach one afternoon and and I just laid there on the beach and watched a family from France inter. I could tell from their, you know, their speech, but they were just interacting with each other. And I went, oh, that's how people communicate with each other. Like I felt like I was just totally clueless. 
So it's been a long road. And what I've discovered is, among other things, is that consistency over time creates transformation. I love that. And I also think one of the things that I talk a lot about in soul recovery is, and I feel like this touches on that, which is that when we're in resentment, what we're oftentimes we think somebody else did something to us and we want them to change. We want it to change. And if they hadn't done this or I hadn't been treated this way, then I wouldn't be this way. Well, it's done and it's happened. And Mm -hmm. so what I feel is that you need to get in there and touch it and taste it so you can let it go. But you don't go back there and ruminate on it and process it to death when you what you want is you want it to be different. What you do is you right. see it for what it was and take responsibility for your own happiness because we can maybe never have a husband that will be the husband that we want or the children that we wanted or the parents to love us the way that we wanted. I love that about ACA, Adultion of Alcoholics, is you have that chance to kind of reparent yourself for what you missed. And so I feel like this work with resentments turns the power back to yourself to say, whatever happened, happened. And here's how you can take responsibility for your own happiness and let the victim piece go. It's so true, Rachel. And it's it sounds sort of um, paradoxical that to look at what, what was happening inside of you is going to make a difference. Because like you said, the very first thing that we want. So in the writing that I use with, with people, the very first question is, what did I want? Mm-hmm. And we always like, this is one of the reasons that, that I don't actually give the guidelines to people outside of the group. Because if you haven't gone through and answered these questions, how do I say this? Um, with the guidance of someone who has done it, even though they're simple questions, they're really challenging to answer accurately. So the question, what did I want? Always people say, I wanted the other person to do something. I wanted them to be different. I wanted an apology. I wanted them to, you know, to take responsibility for their own actions. I wanted them to treat me with kindness. I wanted them to respect me. So that's actually where we go awry is always looking outside of ourselves for what we want and getting what we want. What we do in the way that I work with people is we look at what's underneath that. So what's the next layer under that? And what we wanted were things, were very human things. Right. Right? I wanted attention. I wanted love. I wanted wanted love. I wanted respect. I wanted to feel important. Mm-hmm. Right. I wanted I wanted to be loved in some way. Yeah. So it's a really fun experience to because we're we're also trained out of our what we need and what we want. Like we don't think about that stuff. We think more about what we don't want than what we do want. Right. Or you clarity, know, our, clarity of what we want. Yeah. Yes. And clarity of what we want. Yes. Yes. And control. So, so I think I think every time I I'm in a situation where I want I want my husband to do something different. I'm really trying to control him. Well, and if you unpack that, control is always about fear. There's fear underneath control. Mm-hmm. So what so the question then becomes, okay, so if I'm trying to control something, chances are there's some fear there. That's fear-based energy. So let's just see what's there. 
And the fear is, oh, I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I want. I'm afraid something's not going to get done in time. I'm afraid somebody's not going to like me if this doesn't happen. So like our whole lives are wrapped around fears that we're not even aware of. And it's so good to know that because then we can do something about it, right? That's amazing. I love that. And we have control of ourselves. And that's we the part do. where there's always hope. There's yes. always hope and, and potential. And regardless of how, how, as we say in AA, how far down you've gone, yes. there's always, always a chance to come back if you want it. Yes. If you're willing is. to do it. And thing is, it doesn't, it's not about shaming ourselves because we should have done something mm-hmm. or we didn't do the right thing. Everything that we've done, we did because we we were doing our best. It's all we knew at the time. So that's one of the things that I, in this resentment group that, that I run, I have a very, I like to call it my shame meter. I have a very sensitive shame meter. So anytime there's any hint of shaming, I always speak up. We talk about it openly, you know, how things feel, you know, something feels judgmental because judgmental is shaming. How can we reword that? So always paying attention to how are we treating ourselves? How are we thinking about this? Because that makes a huge difference. The way we talk to ourselves, the way we think about what we're doing totally affects the quality of our lives. I used to wake up in the morning. I remember this right after, right after I got sober. I remember thinking to myself a month or two into it. And I thought, I am still waking up dreading my days. What is going on here? So I really paid attention, you know, the next day I thought, cause I, you know, I didn't have alcohol running through my veins anymore to feel guilty right. about. And I thought I need to see what this really is. So I paid attention the next day and I let my mind kind of go under into the zzz that was going on. That was really feeling awful in my system. And it was a bunch of shoulds. Mm. I was blaming myself for things I didn't finish yesterday. I was scared I wasn't going to finish the things that I had on my docket for today. And a lot of like, you should have done this. You should have done that. Why didn't you do like this blaming, shaming thing going on all the time? And I thought, well, no wonder I don't want to get out of bed. (laughs) Our self-talk can be so vicious. Our self-talk can be so vicious. And it completely affects the quality of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, That's, which is another another reason why releasing resentments is so awesome. It really is. I mean, I, I cannot believe the difference in my life. It really, really was transformative for me to go through that process with support and come out the other side. I Now I notice my thoughts. Like, it's hard to notice your thoughts. Mm-hmm. This process helps you notice your thoughts. You talked about observing yourself. That's another thing that we do in this group. We learn how to observe ourselves. We watch what happens and then we write stuff down and there's a lot of repetitive writing and that helps us get in touch with our thoughts and see what we're actually thinking. I have found journaling and writing to be so important and part of that came in recovery. I had journaled forever, but it had always been a huge monologue of being pissed off and irritated at the world. Yes, yes. And as I started doing 12-step work, and changing the tone, changing the focus, changing the thought patterns, changing the energy, leaning more towards higher power, taking responsibility for myself. If I can't write 
blame for somebody else. If I'm not the solution, there is no problem. So Mm -hmm. once I made that transition, (laughs) that's a big one. It's a big one, right? Mm -hmm. So once I made the transition and it doesn't mean that there isn't stuff that happens that's hard and I didn't feel like I brought on to myself, you know, but if I am responsible for my responses, Mm. then anything can happen out there. And then I can have clear awareness of how I'm going to respond. Am I going to allow this to be a resentment? Am I going to hold on to this and be angry and frightened? Am I going to move it forward in the writing? I feel like breaks up that spin that I can get into. It does. Almost immediately now that I write every day. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a great practice. I love that. Yes, writing is really, really helpful. So how many years have you been sober from alcohol? Uh, uh, 2005. Oh my goodness, fantastic. You do the, you do the math. Yeah, I'm not good at math. <laughs> I'm not good we'll, at let math. People, let, we'll let people do their own math. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, 1-1-2005, one, one, and then two years later, 1-1-2007, um, one, one, uh, cigarettes. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, that was my real drug of choice. Yeah, nicotine that, was. Yeah, yeah I, I smoked as well. I, I get it. Both my kids were nicotine addict. They've kicked it. So it's that's it's a yeah, big, that was that was challenging for sure. Big, well, we could talk on forever. We could I like, know. We could I talk know. for days, I could tell. I know we could. <laughs> and I can't wait to meet you. I I think I've seen you in meetings. I you you look familiar to me. So I'm sure over my ten plus years of in and out of the rooms, I have I have seen your beautiful face. So we are now in the age of technology and it doesn't matter where you are in the country anymore. So tell us a little bit about how you get Gretchen in your life and (laughs) and the gifts that you have to offer. Okay. The name of my business is Soul Shine. I love that. Soul Shine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's what I want people to feel like is happening. I guide them to getting in touch with their core essence and begin allowing that to shine. So and your my, website is Soul Shine Colorado. Soul right? Shine Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's right. And my phone number's on there. There's an email form on there. Yeah. And I am now actually gathering people for my next resentment group, releasing resentment. So it's called Shine the Light, Releasing Resentments for Freedom and Joy. Beautiful. And it's on my group's page. I really, really love doing this group. It is total joy to do. How long is the commitment? Is it? It's a four month group. We meet um, once a week and we do it by Zoom because we're in a pandemic and, uh, and there's lots of support and lots of handouts. And I actually created a resentment assessment. There's lots of really good guidance and there's one-on-one time with me as well as group time and buddies and yeah, it's a really awesome group. It's so, fantastic. Yeah. And I'll have all your links in the show notes. Wonderful. Thank episode. you. Rachel. Everybody can have easy access. What I love about this work is you and I are recovered alcoholics and Al-Anon and your ACA. And what I have seen in my life is that it actually wasn't the recovery from being a drinker. It was my spiritual recovery. Absolutely. Of the, the hole in my heart. Absolutely. I used alcohol to try to fill the void. And most of us have something that we use to try to fill the void. So my belief and, and passion about soul recovery is anybody 
can utilize these tools in their lives for a better, healthier, happier life. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to be one of us, one of those alcoholics to really transform your life for the better. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's, it's a great portal, but there's lots of other ways in. For most people that are listening, maybe they've already heard where there's the grateful alcoholic and people always say, I don't understand when they first come in, why you guys are grateful. (laughs) I used to hate that. Oh my gosh. I did not want to be an alcoholic at all. So I, I hated that. I didn't want to go into recovery when it was time for recovery. So yeah. I didn't get it. But now I totally get it because what it brought me too. to is an entirely new, transformed, shining self. Yes. Feels so much better. I am so grateful for all the 12 step work that happened in my life. I really, really am. Yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights. And I loved thinking of things in a new way today that I hadn't done before. And I'm excited to have a, a connection with you. And And I hope that those that are listening and are really interested in this will reach out to you. And I just really appreciate your time, Gretchen. Thank you so mm. much. Such a pleasure to be with you, Rachel. I really enjoy your energy and I'm so delighted with what you're doing. Thank you. Thank mm. you. Me too. All right, until next time, namaste. Thank you for listening, and I hope this episode offered you tools, guidance, and inspiration on your journey to recover your soul. If you'd like some support and encouragement with your soul recovery, book a coaching session with me. When you're ready for change, it's amazing what can be done in just a few sessions. There's never any long-term commitment. This is your personal journey, and I'm just here to be a guide and assist you in connecting with your fullest and happiest self. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net, where you can find more about me, Rev. Rachel, book your spiritual coaching sessions, subscribe to receive email updates, and even listen to some of my original music. We thank you for supporting the production of this podcast by donating on the homepage or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or becoming a Patreon member. When you become a member or a subscriber, you're going to receive an extra bonus episode each week, and your support is really appreciated. By following, subscribing, and reviewing this podcast on your favorite platform, you're helping to spread the Recover Your Soul message. We hope that you will follow us on Instagram and Facebook and even join the private Facebook group to become part of our transformational community. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.